0: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are known as what? The Gospels. And when you put those together, because there are four different writers, four different accounts of the life of Jesus, you put them together. It's called the harmony of the Gospels. And that's what I've been teaching through for the last year and now two months. And we will be um, finishing this up in June. But we're we're on time. We're on the on track here to finish, uh, or to come to the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so that's all planned out, and and the timing is, is for that. But I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, quite a bit of what they write happens in the last week of the life of Jesus. Did you notice that? In the last week, there's a lot on the last week. And here's where we are. We're in the last week. And I'm going I'm to talk a little bit about what happened on Monday, the last Monday of the life of Jesus before he was crucified. Now, how many of you like Mondays? Not too many people are raising their hand, because Mondays are hard sometimes. And Jesus had a really hard Monday, and I know that because of what it says in Mark 11. So I call it Manic Monday. Manic Monday. Let me tell you what happened. First, Jesus is walking with his disciples on his way to the temple, and he's hungry. And they pull into the drive through fig filet. And don't you know it, they're all out of figs. And what do you do when you're hangry? All right? Jesus curses the fig tree, and it dies. Okay, that's the start of Manic Monday. Then he gets to the temple, and in the temple, which is supposed to be a place, a holy place, a place of prayer, a place of getting close with God, it's turned into a place to make money. There's people there that are gouging others because they need to buy the sacrifice, and the exchange rate is out of hand, and so Jesus takes a whip, and he starts cracking it, and turning over tables and screaming at people. Now, he did this at the beginning of his ministry, and now he does it at the end. It's kind of like the bookmarks, if you will, of his ministry here, clearing the temple. Well, that's a manic Monday right there. Now, does that sound familiar? Does that sound like your Mondays? You wake up and it's Monday and you go a little nuts? Just just let everybody know, I just tell people when I do stuff like that, I'm like, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Jesus went a little nuts on Monday, so I want to be like Jesus. I mean, I'm always, he was a carpenter. I, I like to work with wood. I like to do stuff like that. Jesus hung out with fishermen. I like to hang out with fishermen. Jesus fed a lot of people bread. I like to eat pizza twice a week. That's got to count. Jesus coached 12 guys. Do you know how many guys there are on a basketball team? 12 guys. Jesus told a lot of stories. I like to tell stories i like to be like jesus but perhaps i should clarify here jesus was angry at the fig tree and in the temple but it was a righteous anger and what he did when he cursed the fig he didn't curse like you curse all right he cursed the fig tree he made it die to teach a lesson about faith but manic monday was a day let me tell you now what comes after monday Tuesday, yeah, but I call it Teaching Tuesday because Jesus taught the whole day. Now, I taught in the high school for 16 years, and I remember there were some long days. One of the longest days of teaching, and how many teachers in the house this morning? A couple, okay. Probably some at home. They're too exhausted to come. You'll see why. But but when you teach all day and then you have conferences, all right, so just know this, parents, when you go to your kids' conferences. They've been teaching all day, and now they get to talk for 3 more hours about your child. All right? So, it's a long, long day. And then the worst part is is after conferences, they never do conferences on Friday. I mean, that would make sense. Give us a day off the next day, but they don't do that. They make you go to school the next day and teach. But here's what's interesting, Jesus had this incredibly long day of teaching on Tuesday. And do you know what he did on Wednesday? He did nothing. The Gospels say nothing about Wednesday. I call it weary Wednesday. Because he was tired from teaching all day. Teachers do it five days in a row, and then they get a rest. If they don't have papers to grade and stuff to prepare. So you all should pray for teachers. Amen? They need help. And many other uh, of, of the jobs these days are, are Very weary. So, anyway, uh, Teaching Tuesday. Jesus told some stories on Teaching Tuesday about preparing for the kingdom of heaven. One of those stories that I want to talk about today is the parable of the wedding feast. The parable of the wedding feast. Now, he told a lot of parables about the kingdom of heaven. But this one was uh, an interesting one, as we'll find out in a second here in a little bit. I'm going to be like weddings, by the way. All the ladies raise their hands, seems like I love weddings, too, especially the ones I don't have to pay for. My 17-year-old daughter's in the front row right here, so point that out. But I, I really like weddings in warm weather. Can someone here get engaged, ask me to officiate and get a destination wedding somewhere? I'll go to that beach and I'll do your wedding. No charge. Just invite me. Anyone? Anybody want to get engaged today? Please. This winter is starting to get to me a little bit. Uh, Did you know there's a big wedding feast in heaven? In Revelation 19, there's a big wedding feast. We're going to talk about end times next week, but when Jesus comes back, he's coming back. Isn't he, amen, church? That's right. But when he comes back, it's at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And he's going to put in lockup Satan, the beast, the army, and he's going to reign for a thousand years. But there's going to be a special celebration at the end of this tribulation. It's a marriage supper. And I see a connection between the marriage supper in Revelation and the wedding feast, the parable of the wedding feast. Let me read to you in Revelation about the marriage supper. It'll be on your screen here, but if you want to turn to your Bible, Revelation 19, verse 7. It says... Uh, John, by the way, one of the disciples of Jesus, um, had the revelation, and he's the one who is the author of this. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now, just in case you don't know, Jesus is the Lamb of God here, and he is the Lamb because a lamb was required for a sacrifice. He went to the cross. He's the sacrifice. The church, all believers who put their faith in Jesus Christ, that's the bride of Christ. There's really only one marriage in heaven. It's between Jesus and the church. That's what the scripture teaches us. And those who remain faithful to the end will be invited or be in this marriage supper. Verse 8, it was granted to the bride to clothe herself with fine linen bright, And pure, of course, the bride's going to look beautiful. But what is this beautiful linen? It's the righteous deeds of the saints. It's the good works of the saints. That's what she's clothed in. That's what we're clothed in. Christians shall be known for their Bible-thumping skills. No. Christians shall be known for their clothes that have verses all over them. Christians shall be known for their good works. That's what we're known for. And I'll show you the main reason in the text today. Verse 9, the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Show me your invitation. Let's see it. If you're thinking, I didn't get an invitation. What's he talking about? Did he email it to me? Doesn't he know I don't check my email? Yeah, I know. We send emails out. We know you don't check them. (laughs) Did I text it? No. Nobody texted you the invitation. Did we put it on Facebook? You know, Pastor, not everybody's on Facebook. I heard that one. Relax, the invitation didn't come by mail, text. The invitation is, as we see in Matthew 22, verse 14, many are invited, but few are chosen. The invitation to the marriage, supper in heaven is what we call the pure gospel, the pure gospel invitation. And I like to say pure gospel because we live in pure Michigan. Yeah, there you go. We're special. Gospel is a word that means good tidings or good message or good news. It's also what evangelism means. If you evangelize, you're sharing the good news. The good news is Jesus died for you. That's the good news, so that you can go to heaven. That's as simple as I can say it. The good news is that you can be justified without doing any good works. I'll say that again because it's important. The good news is that you can be justified without doing any good works. Now that's interesting, that you could be a terrible, awful, rotten person and still be justified. You could do a hundred mean things in a row and God will still forgive you. We probably won't forgive you, but, you know, God's going (laughs) to forgive you. It takes us a long time, you know. But how does that possible? How are you justified without doing anything good? Because justification is not based on what you do. It's not based on what you do. It's what you believe. It's what you receive. And Jesus used this parable of the wedding feast to make it clear, to explain it to his disciples. So we're in Matthew 22. Matthew 21 all the way through 25 is Teaching Tuesday. And we talked a little bit about it last week. We're on it this week, and we'll be in it next week. Matthew 22, verse 1. Again, Jesus spoke to them parables. He said this, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gives a wedding feast for his son. Now you know who Jesus is talking about here, right? The king is who? God. The son? Jesus. Jesus. And this is like the marriage supper that I read to you about in Revelation 19. Verse 3, the king sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But it says in verse 5, they paid no attention. They went off, one to his farm, another to his business, Luke tells the same thing and says, one went off to, to be with his bride. These servants that are inviting everyone, these are the old prophets. The Old Testament prophets. This is the invitation that went on time and time again that we see in the Old Testament. And the people that are rejecting the invitation, this is the Jewish nation. The Israelites in the Old Testament, the Jewish nation, they are ignoring the invitation to believe that Jesus is their Messiah. Not all. I counseled with a couple this week. They are Messianic Jews. They're Jewish by heritage, but they believe Jesus is their Messiah. But those that don't, God is judging them for a time. For the time that we're in now. Verse 7, the king was angry. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, burned their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. But those invited are not worthy. We're not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out in the roads and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And this speaks of the present time and the current invitation. All over the world, people are being invited today to believe that Jesus is God's Son and that He died for you. He died for your sins. And if you believe in Him and put your faith entirely in Him, then you can go to heaven. That's the gospel invitation. Believe Jesus is your Redeemer. Did you notice we sang about your Redeemer today a lot? Always intentional. Always intentional, the music that we choose that Jamie picks out for the songs or for the message. Yeah, he's our Redeemer. And if you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, the words of Ephesians 2 8 and 9 never get old. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so no man can boast. That's the gospel. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But notice Jesus says that they, in in this parable, in this story, that there's both bad and good that that come into this place. On Teaching Tuesday, Jesus talked a lot about Judgment Day. He said there there were going to be sheep and goats together until the Day of Judgment. And then he would separate them. He said that there would be ten virgins and five would be ready and five would not be ready. And right here in this parable, he talks about a man who did not have on the proper wedding attire. He didn't have on the right wedding garment. Verse 11, when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man who had no wedding garment. He said to this man, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And this man was speechless. Now you should know this. Customary, customary for the host to provide a wedding garment for anyone that could not afford one or did not have one. That would be customary. So the fact that he does not have on a wedding garment is simply because he refused. He refused. He rejected what the host, what the king offered him. And many are invited, but the Um, by the pure gospel. In fact, it says, the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him out into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are invited to the pure gospel, by the pure gospel, but many reject the gospel. And they refuse to put on the title of this message, the righteous robe of Christ. The wedding garment that he was not wearing was the righteous robe of Christ. The righteousness of Jesus is how you get into heaven, not your own self-righteousness. He was wearing his own clothes, his own self-righteousness. And that's never going to justify you in God's eyes. There's lots of people that live today, lots of people you know, and it might even be someone listening today. You've been justifying yourself, and you think you're okay. You think, well, I've done a lot of good things in my life, and I've only done a few bad things, and so God is going to let me in. He's not. He's going to look at you, and he's going to see self-righteousness, and he's going to cast you out on Judgment Day. Many are invited, but few receive this invitation to put on the righteous robe of Jesus Christ. In James 3.1, it says that teachers will be judged stricter. That means me, Matt Trombley, will be judged more strictly for how I teach, and I will not water down the gospel. I will not sugarcoat the gospel. The gospel is what it is, and you need to hear it. You need to hear the truth. There are lots of people out in our world today that believe in universalism. Universalism is everybody's going to heaven. It's like an Oprah Winfrey show. Everybody's going to heaven. No, that's not what it says. And I have no idea how anyone can read their Bible and ever come to this conclusion. You would have to cross out a whole lot of verses to come to the conclusion that everyone's going to heaven. You would have to tear out a whole lot of pages in your Bible to think that everyone is going to heaven. John 5, verse 28 and 29, Jesus himself said, Don't marvel at this, an hour's coming. All who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good, the resurrection of life. But those who have done evil, the resurrection of judgment. And that's eternal separation from God. Heaven's a perfect place. And only by the righteousness of Christ, the righteous robe of Christ, can you enter in. We're all going to stand before God someday. Are you wearing the righteous robe of My job, to make sure that you understand that. And I hope that you do. Charles Spurgeon said, pure gospel preaching is very discriminating. And everyone needs a distinguishing mark of grace. Do you know what that distinguishing mark of grace is? The righteous robe of Christ. His righteousness. Have you put all your faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Do you believe God raised him from the dead? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you say yes, 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 Yes. then I say that you are justified. That's how you're justified. And you can walk into the marriage supper with confidence that God has a mansion waiting waiting for you in heaven. But perhaps the greatest proof that you've said yes, 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 I believe all of this is baptism. I really think baptism is the greatest proof of your justification because you are saying to the whole world, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I proclaim him. He's my Savior. I'm identifying with him. He's my justification. I cannot do it on my own. I love it when people take this next step with God. I love it that Dietrich is here today to be baptized because he is saying to the whole world, I put my faith in Christ alone. That's it. He, it's, it's all in him. And it's a big step that identifies you with Christ. If you've been baptized underwater like Jesus, as a believer, raise your hand just so everybody can see around you. Wonderful. And if you have not, I encourage you to sign up the next time we have baptism or just put that on your connection card and say, I'd like to be baptized. Whenever the next date is, it's priority number one in my calendar because I want to be baptized I want to identify with Christ. Now, baptism is not the only step that you take. Once you're justified, honestly, you spend a lifetime being sanctified until you're glorified. Sometimes I like to use big words. But that's how it goes, right? We're justified, then we're sanctified, and then we're glorified. And sanctification is you being more like Jesus, you becoming more holy like Jesus. But you know i like to be honest with you. Can I be honest with you this morning? I would never lie to you anyway, but I just like to say that. I'm honestly pretty, I get pretty sad when I see people who come and get baptized. I've baptized some people in the past, but they don't come to church anymore. They're, they're not walking. It doesn't seem like they're walking with God anymore. They're not growing in their faith. There's so many commands that Jesus gave us that you can't do when you don't belong to a local church. The church is to build you up. It says in Hebrews, don't give up meeting together. It's important. How many times in the Bible does it say, love one another? You can't do that at home. You need to come together. But I think that sometimes people do that. They get baptized because they think baptism saves them. Baptism doesn't save you. Uh, The water back there is clean. It might might, get some dirt off your skin, but it's not going to make you righteous All right, we can sing holy water a hundred times in a row. It's not going to make that water save you. Baptism doesn't do that. Christ does that. Salvation is a gift of God. We are saved, not as a result of works, so no man can boast. But baptism is just one step in your walk with God, it's not the only step. In fact, I like it that people say, no, Ephesians 2 8 and 9. But I always remind them, you got to read verse 10. Because once you're saved by, by grace alone, in Christ alone, you have to walk now with Him. It says in verse 10, We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Say it, church. Good works, yeah. God prepared them beforehand so you could walk in them. God doesn't redeem you to come to church on Sunday and sit on your hands. He redeems you so you'll stand up and clap and raise your hands. Don't get too Pentecostal, though. That'll freak out some of our recovering Catholics and Baptists, all right? I'm just kidding. You do what you're going to do. You do you. Raise your hand. Praise the Lord, all right? He redeems you, though, for good works. For good works. All the other religions have this backwards. They have this out of order. All the other religions, you do good works so you can get justified. Think about it. If you have friends that are Muslim, if you have friends that are in Jehovah's Witness, they do good things, good works, so they can be justified. But Christians, that's not how it is. We do good works because we are justified because we want to give thanks to our Lord for what he has done for us. But not every Christian is known for their good works, which is why the philosopher Nietzsche once said about Christians, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you're going to have to look a lot more redeemed. That's interesting. He said, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you're going to have to look a lot more redeemed. Well, how do you look redeemed? Good works. Jesus' words, Jesus' words, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We do good works for lots of reasons. We give thanks to God. Good works benefit humanity. They benefit yourself. You feel good about it yourself when you do something nice for someone else, don't you? It gives assurance of your salvation when you do good works. But perhaps the greatest reason to do good things is to join God in His glorious plan of redemption. That's what Jesus is saying. You let your light shine, and people see it, and they glorify your Father in heaven. It brings people to Christ. Good works is the pure gospel in action. When people see you doing good things. I told you I was a teacher in the public school. And I didn't hide my faith as a teacher. I was not afraid to share my faith. I led, a, I led a club, a Christian club for students after school. Every week for many, many, many years. And they would come there, and I can not tell you how many times those students would be, I'm so thankful you do this. It's so nice to know that I have a Christian teacher I led another club that was connected to the Rotary Club. It's called Interact. We did tons of service projects that benefited the, the school and the community. And I did that because I believe we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and we need to serve other people. And let me tell you something, there was lots of gospel conversations that came out of that club. I shared my faith with teachers. I invited them to Life of Purpose. Shocker, They came! I've married former students. Good works that basically became fruit. I've seen fruit. I'm still seeing the fruit. And that's just me. That's just one person. What can you do in your school? What can you do in your job? What can you do in your neighborhood? Think about the opportunities that you have. I just took what I had. What God was, every day I'm going to this place, I'm doing my job here. Why not do it for the Lord? Why not serve the Lord? We need to do good works so we can see people come to Christ. That's why we do them. That's why we should do them. Do you know what the highest level of emotional intelligence is? We don't talk about that too much, but emotional intelligence, the highest level is inspiring other people. That's the highest level of emotional intelligence. You inspire other people. Not many people have high emotional intelligence. It's, it, it's an amazing thing. When you know somebody that's in, truly inspiring, and you're around them, and man, they just really inspire you, it's, it's powerful. It's powerful. And I'm not talking about um, great speeches, great talks. I know, I've preached some good sermons. Yeah. I've gave some great pep talks in the locker room. All right, I may have taught a couple good math lessons, I don't remember. But those were words. And they may have inspired for a little bit. Even Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, his famous speech, I Have a Dream. Yeah, that inspired people, but that's not why people remember him. They remember him because he did good works. That's why they remember him. He was inspirational because of his activity, because of what he did because of his peaceful protest that inspired others. He won the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality through nonviolent resistance. His good works led people to Jesus. And he continued that on until he went to be with the Lord in heaven. And those good works still inspire us today. Mother Teresa gave many inspirational talks, but that's not why she's a household name. It's because of her work in Calcutta. Serving the poor. And her missions of charity serves well over 100 countries today. When you do good works, that inspires other people. And when you do it for God, people know. They know the difference. They know when you're doing something good to make yourself feel good, or you're doing something good because you want to honor God. And you want to see people believe in the Lord. Nobody puts their light under a basket, Jesus said. You let it shine. You let it shine. Last thing I want to say. I remember playing basketball after college on a uh, team that traveled all over Michigan. Everybody on the team was very good. Lots of college players, professional guys. And uh, there were a few guys that played the same position as I did. And and, uh, there was a tournament that we were in, I remember distinctly. And and in that tournament, um, there was... Um, we had a lot of guys, and, and there, like I said, there were some guys in my position, and I didn't get to play as much as I wanted to play. If you've ever been an athlete and had to sit on the bench, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I didn't like that very much because I knew that if I could get in that game, I could really help the team and contribute. What made it worse is we lost the tournament. All right? That makes it worse, doesn't it? When you're sitting on the bench and your team's losing and you think you can get out there and help them. Well, I was really frustrated by that, um, that I had to... to to kind of sit and watch that. I wonder, have you been sitting on the bench lately in God's house? Have, have, you, have you been kind of just sitting on your hands wondering, when's the coach going to put me in the game? Well, listen, if you won't see me as your coach, consider you're in the game, all right? I just called your number, get in the game, and start serving and doing good works because it glorifies our Father in heaven. It leads people to Christ. Every day, make your prayer be, God, where are you working today? Is it my school? Is it my work? Is it it my neighborhood? I want to join you in that work. God, let me in the game. Show me where you're working. I want to help. I want to do it. If that's your prayer, I guarantee you, God is going to show you how to do it. We all need to do good work. It glorifies our Father in heaven. It leads people to Christ. It leads them to be justified by Christ alone. Amen, church? Invite our team to come up and play our song. And what song do you think we're going to play before a baptism? Did you guess holy water? Good. I hope so. At least I hope they're prepared to play holy water, because that was the plan. Will you bow your heads as I pray? Father... Thank you for this day to worship you and to praise your holy name. Thank you for justifying us. Thank you. Because we could never justify ourselves. We could never do enough to be right in your eyes. Your son has done it all. He died on the cross for our sins. He makes us holy. Thank you, Father, for redeeming us through your son, Jesus. May we all put our faith in you and as we sing this song, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never surrendered their life to you, maybe they've been close before, maybe they're here today, and they're thinking, I really, really, this is it. I want to give my life to you. I want to surrender it all to you. I pray, Father, they would do that today. They would pray that prayer that says, I give it all to you. And I pray, Father, that They wouldn't keep it a secret. They would share that. And that would lead to baptism. Because it's so exciting when we see someone be baptized in the name of you, your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.